0: Hello, and welcome to Central, a podcast about issues that are central to life in Christianity. I'm Ben Sloan, a pastor in the United Methodist Church, and I'm excited today to be kicking off our second season. I learned a lot making the first season, and it's been fun to experiment with this different medium of self-expression. I really think of podcasting as on demand radio, so it's been fun working in a medium that I enjoyed so much as a kid. When I was younger, I would listen to music, of course, but especially I loved listening to stories on the radio. Radio drama has gone through a bit of a rough stretch, so I largely listened to rebroadcasts, but even so, the line, Who Knows What Evil? ...lurks in the hearts of men. (laughs) The shadow knows. ...was forever imprinted on my mind. And one of the seminal radio stories that in many ways set the bar for radio storytellers and podcasters to follow was Orson G. Wells' War of the Worlds. Let me play a clip for you. Ladies and gentlemen, we interrupt our program of dance music to bring you a special bulletin from the Intercontinental Radio News. At 20 minutes before 8 central time, Professor Farrell of the Mount Jennings Observatory, Chicago, Illinois, reports observing several explosions of incandescent gas occurring at regular intervals on the planet Mars. The spectroscope indicates the gas to be hydrogen and moving toward the Earth with enormous velocity. Professor Pearson of the Observatory at Princeton confirms Farrell's observation and describes the phenomenon as, quote, like a jet of blue flame shot from a gun, unquote. We now return you to the music of Ramon Raquello playing for you in the Meridian Room of the Park Plaza Hotel situated in downtown New York. The story is set within a radio broadcast, so if you didn't tune in from the very start, you might not realize that it was fiction. Have you heard how the premiere of War of the Worlds started a panic? The story goes, people didn't realize War of the Worlds wasn't real. They thought it was live breaking news, and so they panicked. They took to the streets. Have you ever heard that? It's an interesting story, but the problem is, it's every bit as false as War of the Worlds itself. It turns out nobody panicked. Everybody realized that it was just a radio show. So why did that account of a riotous premiere get out? Well, the story goes, the newspapers were concerned about radio as a new medium. They were worried that people would stop turning to the papers as the source of journalism for the new, flashy, live source of information. And so they sought to discredit radio as a source of news by inventing a story about people panicking after hearing fake news on the radio. Have you ever heard that? Again, it's an interesting story, but the problem is, it's every bit as false as our first two stories. It turns out there was no broader conspiracy by newspapers to discredit the radio. All that happened was that the radio broadcast was at night, and so newspapers, wanting to include the story in their morning editions, didn't have time to thoroughly vet the story. They rushed the news of a panic to print, leaning into sensationalism, but it wasn't a part of a broad conspiracy. It was just sloppy journalism. Have you ever seen the picture of President Truman holding up a newspaper that says Dewey defeats Truman? It's, it's that same basic idea. So what we have here is the fake news showcased in the War of the Worlds, which led to a fake the fake news of a panic explained by the fake news of a conspiracy. Fake news inside fake news inside fake news. It really is a fascinating case study in misinformation and what's so interesting to me about it is how each of the fake stories has a theme or a nugget that people want to or do believe. So in the original broadcast there's the idea that we are not alone in the universe, that there is other life out there. That's a compelling idea for many people that might convince you to suspend your disbelief when listening to Wells' story and entertain it as truth. Then there's the story of the panic. And the moral of that fake news story is that people are gullible, they will believe anything, and so you've got to be careful with what you say. Regardless of whether you thought people really did panic or not, would you say that you agree with that premise? Then, with the newspaper conspiracy against radio, there's the core themes of people being afraid of change, to this, you know, new medium of radio, and also people in power abusing it to stay in positions of authority. Those nuggets are things we can understand and latch on to, even if the stories they support aren't real. Our susceptibility to false stories that agree with themes and narratives we do agree with is not just a problem of a select few. This is a problem that we all have. Maybe you saw through all of those stories, but all that really means is that the underlying themes weren't ones that resonate strongly with you. But we live in a world that is far too complex for us to personally verify or prove everything we believe. So we rely on people we trust and our understanding of how the world works to decide what we're going to believe. 99.9% of the time, that works great. It's how we get by in this vast sea of information and inputs, but every so often it leads to misconceptions. And as we have seen with the results of cults and conspiracy theories, sometimes those misconceptions can be dangerous. But the difficult thing we have to realize is that there is no fundamental difference between the way we think and the person we might label as a nut. Let me tie this into a story from Scripture here. Take the story of Jephthah in the book of Judges. Gilead was Jephthah's father, and Scripture tells us that Jephthah's mother was a prostitute. But Gilead had other children, too, with his legitimate wife. And as you can imagine, the indiscretions of the father were born by his son. Though Jephthah did nothing wrong, he was tormented by his half-siblings to the point that he ran away. The bullying and abuse he received from his family, his own flesh and blood, was too much to bear. Despite all this, Jephthah was a strong man and a born leader. And so, cut loose from his family, he became a leader of a group of outlaws. He obviously didn't have positive role models in his life, and so left to his own devices, he supported himself and his friends through a life of crime. They developed a name for themselves through the raids they performed. On a larger scale, at that time Israel was threatened by the Ammonites and the elders of Jephthah's clan had heard word of his exploits and so they decided to prioritize his strength over his indiscretions. So they sent for him and they asked him uh, to, to lead them in battle against the Ammonites. Jephthah is understandably skeptical. He'd been driven out from his homeland, but suddenly they want him back to fight their battles for him? He decides to strike a deal. He says, I'll lead you, but not just in battle. If I'm successful, I'll be your leader from here on. So Jephthah takes command and just before joining in battle with the Ammonites, he makes a vow. He says, God, if you help me defeat the Ammonites, I will give you a burnt offering of whatever comes to meet me first when I come home. This sounds like a strange promise, but let me interject a bit and tell you that in those days people often slept on the roofs of their house to where it was cool, where they would get the breezes at night. And so they kept their animals inside their houses on the ground level. So livestock would be live inside the house. and. It would be reasonable to expect that a cow or a sheep would be the first thing to wander out to greet Jephthah on his way home. It's really not as strange a promise as it sounds. After making his vow, Jephthah does win the battle, but when he returns home, it's his daughter who comes out to greet him first. And so Jephthah, despite being distraught, keeps his promise and offers his own daughter as a sacrifice. It is a tragic story, and the first thing that should always be pointed out about this is that God never asks Jephthah to make a vow. God never tells Jephthah that he needs to offer a sacrifice. God never even tells him that he needs to follow through with his vow. In fact, we never hear God's voice in this particular story at all. Part of the tragedy is that Jephthah never stops to listen. For God's call, because I guarantee you that things would have turned out differently if he had. But not to defend Jephthah, let me point out how what he did was consistent with his life experiences. How could Jephthah have understood the unconditional love of God when his own family cast him out for the sins of his father? The new family he established was then based on crime. He was an outlaw, and that ingrained in him a transactional view of the world. His gang didn't stick with him because they liked his jokes or his personality. They stuck with him because he was strong, because he could help them get what they wanted. We see how deeply that transactional worldview has been embedded when the elders approach him about leading them in battle. He's not a sucker. He knows that they don't like him for who he is. If they want him to risk his neck, he's going to get something out of it in return. He'll become the leader of his people, not because they love him, but because he's struck a deal. And the way that he is with people is also the way that he is with God. All of Jephthah's life reinforces this idea that you can't get something for nothing. There is no free lunch. You have to pay for what you want, and why should that be any different with God? He wanted a big blessing, a victory in battle. That's got to cost something, right? From the outside, we can see the fallacy. We can see that God never asks a sacrifice of Jephthah. But that doesn't mean that we're fundamentally different from Jephthah. Just as he acts off his experiences of a transactional world, we act off our experiences too. If we find Jephthah's actions strange, it just means we've experienced unconditional love in some shape or form. Right now, there are people who refuse to be vaccinated against COVID-19. That's a problem. It's not just a personal issue. Vaccination rate will make a difference to the overall health of the community. Because when you get sick, you can also get others sick. So when I get vaccinated, it's not just for me, it's for the people that I might have infected otherwise. I can point to facts to show why it's important to be vaccinated. I, I could get in an argument with these folks, but it would be futile, because underlying any argument would be the assumption that they don't have a basis for their beliefs, that they're just lacking the facts, and that's not entirely true. They have their own information and experiences that they're working from. Skepticism of the vaccine is particularly high in black communities, and that's based on a history of medical racism. Most of modern gynecology was tested out first on slaves. In the Tuskegee syphilis study, black men who were infected with syphilis were misled to believe that they were receiving medicine uh, to treat the syphilis and then left to die of unchecked syphilis just so the medical establishment could see what happened. These are not isolated incidents. To this day, the medical establishment has a demonstrated problem with taking the pain of black people seriously. So skepticism of a vaccine can be based in history and experience. And that means we can't just make an intellectual argument to fix the problem. All the facts in the world won't erase the other facts I just shared. More information alone isn't the solution we have to embody the love and concern and healing with which we hope to support through vaccination. That means working to repair the harm done that often leads people to skepticism of the medical establishment. It's not a quick fix, but if we're intentional in showing love to those, even and especially those that we disagree with, we can start to make a change. I bring this up in reference to the vaccine, but really it's how I understand the subject of conversion in general. When we talk about helping someone to change their beliefs, be it about vaccines or even about religion, it's not primarily about facts and information. It's about love, compassion, empathy, and accompaniment. That is how we help to bring about the kingdom of heaven. That is how we share God's love. All right, as always, here are some questions for you to consider or to discuss with your friends or family. Do you think Jephthah's story would have turned out differently if he'd been shown love as a child? What do you think would have happened for Jephthah, for his family, or for his people? What's a commonly held idea that you find uh, preposterous or harmful Can you identify the value that's at its core? And then can you find a way to empathize with people who disagree with you on that point based around that value that maybe you share? Thanks for joining me. Again, this is the first episode of our second season, so you can look for a new episode every Thursday. I'll leave you with this blessing.